0: Are you an author who's tired of the long waits and low royalties? Exact Rush is here to change the game. We specialize in publishing with precision. And we get your book to market in just three to six months. Not years. But we're not just about books. We also support your photography, web design, and content creation needs. Our focus ranges from spirituality to pop culture. And we're excited about our diverse lineup of upcoming releases. So, if you're ready to keep more of your hard-earned money and get published faster, ExactRush is your ticket. Visit ExactRush.com and turn your creative dream into a profitable reality today. Tap into your most original thinking, organize your ideas, and create the opportunities to launch your creative work. Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson.
1: Welcome back, friends, to our podcast, Unlocking Your World of Creativity. And we travel around the world, and today our creative passport is being stamped in Nova Scotia, Canada. We're going to be talking about live illustration, how we communicate our ideas visually, and a great concept and a new book she's written called Sketch Noting. My guest is Ashton Rodenheiser. Ashton, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much, Mark, for having me. It's such an honor to be here with you today.
1: That's so fun. I think we have to start with paint us the picture of <laughs> your creative surroundings in rural Nova Scotia.
2: It's a beautiful place to live. I I live in an old farmhouse on the top of a hill, surrounded by pasture and trees. It's a beautiful place to raise a family and I would say the the closest town that is famous to me is Lunenburg. And it's it's very stereotypical Maine movie. Like I was saying, if there's a movie filmed in Maine, it's probably not Maine, it's probably Lunenburg. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a UNESCO World Heritage Site and has all the colorful houses and it's very cute. So I live close to there and it's very, there's a decent arts community there and there's inspiration all around where I live and nature and and in the architecture that's here too. So it's a, yeah, it's a great place to be. And I'm
1: Fantastic. Thinking. We're all affected by our creative surroundings. So I always like to know what's what's outside this little Zoom square. Well, Ashton is a professional live illustrator, which is again, why, why I wanted her to begin to describe this. Uh, this is what she does for a living. She's founded a great company called Minds Eye Creative Consulting. And really dedicates her business to this idea of sketchnoting and live illustration to help communicate complex concepts. Maybe for a little definition or a little foundation, Ashton, you can give us a sense of what this live illustration is all about.
2: Yes, I do it primarily in two different ways. So that's either in person with large sheets of paper and my, what I call my fancy markers Mm -hmm. or virtually. So instead of seeing my little zoom square here with my face, you would actually see a, the beginning, just a big white space. And by the end of a, a session, it would be all drawings and you get to see that unfold. Since COVID, of course, I probably prime yeah predominantly work virtually i had to pivot my business very quickly when that happened because i was 100% in person before that
0: mm-hmm.
2: and yeah it's been a beautiful journey of those of doing it both ways actually covid kind of was a good thing for me in a way yeah. have more flexibility not have to be traveling all the time which was nice but i still really love paper and markers yes so oftentimes i'll be like at a conference or a meeting or some sort of brainstorming thing. So it could be like the boardroom with executives or it could be at a retreat or what have you. And as folks are discussing something or as a presenter is speaking all of their wisdom into the room, I'm listening, I'm thinking about what I'm hearing, I'm synthesizing those ideas, I'm trying to make sense of what I'm hearing. And then I'm translating that into a visual language on the board, either physically or virtually. And my job is to do it very quickly so that by the time the speaker is done or that meeting is complete, I am pretty much done. So you're able to hear what the speaker was saying or the folks in the room were saying. You can see it unfold in front of your eyes. And then now you have this visual snapshot of, the key highlights and takeaways from that presentation or what your vision is going to be for the next year or two or what have you. Yeah, it's usually find me in those types of settings working as a professional. And then sketch noting or visual note taking is using the same skill set, but using it more so on a smaller scale. So I've been really teaching folks lately on how to use the skill set, but doing it for their own personal note taking or uh develop the skill so they could take it into their own meeting so they don't always have to have me there (laughs) and they can like lead a small group or something and and be able to visualize those ideas so it's really a combination of words drawings icons imagery and bringing those ideas to life so it's really about highlighting and communicating information
1: yes And I was looking at some of the uh, samples of your portfolio on your uh, website, just fantastic. And I couldn't help but think about the the drawing skills. Yes, we're going to talk about those. But the listening skills, the active listening, the translating in real time. This is the court reporter of visual (laughs) translation here. Tell us about how you trained yourself to be that kind of active listener.
2: Yeah, so I actually got into this. I found out about it as a facilitator. And as a facilitator, those are the most important skills to have is the listening and making sense of what you're hearing and then feeding back in words to the group. Now, when I found out about the graphic aspect of it, I fell in love with it because I'd always been very creative and I wanted to be an artist in a group and I I didn't think it was in the cards for me, so I didn't really pursue that as a profession. But it was really this beautiful coming together of this kind of wanting to pursue and have a creative field of work and this world of facilitation. So I actually entered into this work less of an artist. Like I wouldn't say my skills were that great. I wasn't a great drawer when I started this by any means. And but I really had an opportunity to hone in on those listening and those thinking and and synthesizing skills before so i think it was a i I prefer it when i look back now i was very embarrassed in the beginning because i my drawing skills just weren't that great but i was able to just develop that and jump i felt like i was able to jump into that learning curve pretty decent because of my background as a facilitator But yeah, that, that is like the hardest thing to almost describe to people and trying to explain to folks. It's really a process you have to try for yourself when you're listening, because it's, you're not doing just straight note-taking anymore. You're not like listening to a word and trying to capture a word. You, there's, you're doing the hard work while you're also listening. So you are listening to what they're saying and you're trying to deepen your understanding before you put it to paper because you can't capture everything. So you have to make those like split second decisions of what you're hearing and what's resonating with you yes,
1: or what you yes. think is
2: resonant. Like for me, when I'm doing professionally, I'm trying to resonate, pick out what might be resonating with the whole or like the audience. So that's like a little bit more of a guessing game, but with your when you're doing sketch noting for yourself, you're trying to resonate. If you're if you want to do it live, you don't always have to do it live. But if you want to do that live, yeah, you have to make those decisions in the moment and you have to make those decisions very quickly. So you have to think about what you're listening to very rapidly for sure. Yeah. And it is one of the hardest things to teach. You really just have to practice it for yourself. And every time you do one, you just learn more and more about that listening and thinking and how quickly you can capture some things too.
1: Yes, your portfolio runs deep. I think about Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours to become an expert. Once you've done 2,500 of yeah. these conversations as you have, and I'm sure that since that's on a website, it's more and more every day. But yeah, uh, yeah what you're right about practice. And I think about in many creative areas. It's having the idea is one thing, but actually doing it over and over as you build your skills and your craft.
2: Yeah. I I saw something, I think it was like a TikTok reel or something the other day, and it was someone talking about talent. And they're like, I hate it when people say, oh, you're so talented. And I really resonate with that. Like what she was saying, she was like tongue in cheek about it, but I resonated with what she said because If someone looked at my work today, 10 years into doing this, they're like, oh, you're so talented. But I show you my stuff. I started off with 10 years ago. Oh, it is bad. (laughs) It is so bad. And I do, I like sharing them, even though I didn't necessarily show it like a couple of years ago, but I feel more brazen to do it these days. to be like, look how far you can come if you just practice. That's all the difference. And I've said to people, like it has to look good. If it doesn't, there's a problem. Like if you drew and you sketchnoted every single day, almost for 10 years, it, it better look pretty decent. You're going to get
1: good at this. Yes.
2: Yeah. Like (laughs) I did, I think out of those 2,500, I think 600, I did just last year alone. Mm. So it's like that you're looking at almost two a day. All year long, and I'm obviously not doing two a day every day, but I might be doing like ten in one day and five in another. So you just get good because you're doing it so much. It's not about talent; it's not knowing how to. Like the first three years, honestly, I drew a light bulb on everything because I didn't know what else to draw. (laughs) What
1: else do I say about an idea? Yeah, it was
2: like, oh, that's a good idea. Here's a light bulb. Like I already I knew how to draw it. I practiced how to draw it. Like. My drawing skills were pretty sad, pretty sad in the beginning. I really had to work hard to develop that visual vocabulary in my mind. So when someone says vision or someone says collaborate or someone says anything, basically, I know what to draw. I I have a little bank in my mind. That's
1: what I was curious. Do you have this bank where you have almost a visual now thesaurus? Yes.
2: Yeah. So there's maybe an icon where you can learn how to draw, like when I teach it to people, I encourage people when they get to the point of learning how to draw things is uh, learn how to draw things that have multiple meanings. So like a light bulb is a good one because it can, you can use it in so many different ways. It could be like a big idea or you want to highlight something, shining a light. Like there's different use cases or like a magnifying glass can be like, it could be focus, it could be analytics. Like it could represent many different things. To jump up that learning curve a little bit higher, learn how to draw simple icons that have multiple meanings. So in the book that I have, I show how to draw 15 icons, but those 15 icons can represent over 80 different ideas, right? So, you know, it's less about learning how to draw everything and leaning in on some of those things that you can reuse constantly. But then it's also at its core, the drawing elements that kind of hold the sketchnote together are not icons necessarily they're things like a line that's the first thing I teach people how to draw a line (laughs) and then how to turn that line into an arrow and then Mm -hmm. draw a square like and how you can use a square or a circle to contain information or to separate or to show flow of the information across the page because at the end of the day the information is always going to have to win out because you're capturing information, but you can slowly transition over into a sketch noting type style. It could be 95% words and 5% drawings. And those 5% drawings could just be something simple, like a line and a square and a little, maybe a little light bulb. There you right. go. <laughs> yes.
1: comes back to that. You've mentioned the book. Let's uh, jump into that for a second. How fun to be able to capture these experiences in these concepts and publish it in a book.
2: Yeah, so I wrote the beginner's guide to sketch noting and published it a few months ago, and took me about a year and a half to write it. And i I also did like a beta reading process, so I invited people to provide feedback along the way, and I did three different rounds of beta reading, and it was doing that process was completely like. Perfect because I don't think I could have created the book that it is today without the help of the beta readers. It was such a important role to to do because things that I thought were common sense were not. So and the beginner, I really emphasize the beginner part of the Beginner's Guide to Sketch Noting, and that's why I labeled it that way because what I was experiencing is that people would like. I think it's such a powerful tool to help you learn, to help you understand, and get clarity on your ideas, to help you remember to help you take action on information. And when people come up to me and say, Oh, I could never do that. I'm like, but you could though. It's like I said earlier, it's like a line and a square. Like I know I'm oversimplifying it right now, but it really is not rocket science. Like you can learn the drawing elements in 15 minutes. Like you mm. could jump through the first. But it is a
1: muscle them. that you have to develop to be able to quickly translate to quick. the verbal yeah, like, to the visual.
2: Yes, exactly. But like at a glance, what sometimes what I'll do is I'll take a sketch note and we'll pull all the pieces apart and you'll get to see how they all kind of work together. And the individual pieces are not difficult to learn. So it's just about building up that muscle memory and that confidence. And I really wanted to write something that jumped right in. and was a complete how to guide by the end of it. Like you have the confidence that you can do it. Um, Where I was finding there was a bit of a gap where people were wanting to learn how to do this, but there was too much heavy on the illustrative piece. Like, one thing that we don't even, I don't even talk about in the book is like a visual metaphor. But then you'd find all this stuff about visual metaphors. That's like too advanced. It's, let's just start with the basics here, people. We can get to visual metaphors like in the future, but I really wanted people to get as much like success in the moment as possible to get them to experience the benefits of it, because I think it, it is so powerful and such a powerful way to help you learn and engage with information. And and yeah, so that was really important to me to really create a guide that was very hand-holdy through the process. So I hope <laughs> I did just that justice. Yeah, I
1: think so. And you've got all these experiences in say corporate settings and uh, meetings, conferences you mentioned, nonprofits, other organizations. I wonder if any of these experiences or meetings stand out You say in the course of building your competency, were there moments or particular meetings that stand out for you where either the content or the discussion, I even think of meetings that we've all been in where things got a little tense. Are you capturing the conflict? Are you waiting for it all to figure out? Yes,
2: I do. I capture. And sometimes I have to, if I know there might be some conflict going into it. I tell the client, I'm going to draw what people say, so be prepared. I'm not filtering out. It's not my company culture, so I'm going to highlight what people say. I would say the most ones that are, the experiences that are the most memorable were situations where people engaged with me in a way that I allowed them to have a voice, They Mm -hmm. that and they expressed that they never felt like they had a voice before. And in those situations, it's just a complete honor to be there and support them in this way, because it's not about at the end of the day, for me, if I can draw a quote unquote pretty picture or not, it's that they said something and I wrote it down and drew a little picture or I connected it to someone else's idea, but like their idea was written down and they can see it as a part of a whole conversation and that they're voice was valuable in that room. I did have a gentleman years and years ago come up to me and he said, I have worked at this company for 40 years and no one has ever asked me how I felt before. So you just get blown away in those situations where you're like, this is a very important place to be to hold that space for them.
1: Very good. And, and you're taking it one step further a good facilitator should do that right make sure everyone in the room is heard not just the extroverted louder people, but uh, exactly. a lot of people have ideas and it sounds like this sketch noting technique sometimes we we're, were laughing about post-it notes, but it's like we've we've all papered the walls with the pa- yeah. post-it notes and the flip charts and everything else. but sometimes people still can't be heard. And so having this outside facilitator ear and yes. translating technique is a way to let them know they were really appreciated.
2: Yeah. And sometimes you need to have that that third-party person like myself or a co-facilitator to be able to feel safe to be able to share because if it's your manager <laughs> wanting you to talk about stuff, you might not want to feel comfortable doing that. So yes. sometimes if there's tension in the room, like if I, I try to pick up on... Cues that are even not said, or if it's like a random thing that even doesn't have anything to do with the information. For example, I was in a space one time and there were some guys that came in and clearly made it very clear that they didn't want to be there. Mm. (laughs) So I really leaned in and listened to that group and they had, they were like joking about something and it was like an anchor. So I drew a little anchor on the thing, even though it had nothing to do with the information. And I totally won them over because after the break, they came over and they joked about it and they were like, okay, like they felt like this was worth because they were feeling heard. Yes. Yeah.
1: And we think about what kind of meetings could this be used in? And some come to mind, but I loved on your website, you have topics we covered and there's 50 different uh, subject matters, everything from cybersecurity to midwifery doesn't seem like there's a topic that it wouldn't work in.
2: Yeah, that's true. I get to learn about so many different things, which is awesome.
1: Yes. Yeah. I also wanted to highlight and ask you about one of the things that uh, you mentioned was not only the people being heard, that's for sure, but communicating the idea. And even this idea of accessibility to the communication, uh, you spend a lot of time on how are we going to get the ideas communicated?
2: Yeah, it's sorry. You're asking the different situations.
1: Uh, yes, and also I guess this idea of uh, the communication, the output, it's visual, but it also has to be uh, accessible to to many communication styles or many people's needs.
2: Yeah, the, the one thing that I have been talking with a lot of folks lately is around the accessibility piece, and I like folks who are neurodiverse so like folks that may have different learning styles so like technically learning styles have been debunked technically scientists got together and learning styles aren't a thing apparently but it is still the number one comment that people come up to me and say oh i'm a visual learner this resonates with me and so there's that and then there's sometimes that emotional piece that can help you connect because you're like oh i felt heard and here is my voice and then there's the neurodiverse folks that maybe can't physically or mentally sit through 10 presentations at a conference. <laughs> even us who aren't neurodiverse, that's a hard ask these days. If if you can have a visual representation of the information, even if they couldn't sit on that conversation or that presentation, they still feel, they don't feel like they've missed out. Like they've still mm-hmm. been able to engage with it in at least in that way and ask their colleagues about something maybe that's on the drawing, for example. Like folks that may prefer to read or to listen and maybe don't consider themselves a visual learner. Like nothing is a catch-all for everybody, but what I have experienced is that the majority of folks in a room do like to have a visual to, to complement. And the example I always give is YouTube. So YouTube is the second largest search engine in the world for a reason, yes, right? Yes people doing things. We want to see that unfold in front of our eyes instead of reading it or consuming it in in a different way. Yeah.
1: You've also created, in addition to uh, this book on sketch noting, you've also created a a great doodling book on the Maritimes, (laughs) really celebrating and uh, illustrating your region in a creative Mm -hmm. way. Tell us about how that came together.
2: Oh, when you have these random ideas um, fall asleep <laughs> at night, isn't that what all is No, nobody
1: has those <laughs> ideas. <Yes. laughs>
2: yeah, I, I just thought it would be fun. It's like more of a little passion project, a little fun thing to do. So they're like little step-by-step drawings of things that are commonly found where I live and the provinces close by. Yeah, so there's some pretty fun little ones that you might be confused about if you didn't live here, but if you lived here, you totally get it. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah it's a lot of fun and you bring up this word we've been talking about it in a really formal businessy kind of sketch noting way but doodling is a creative outlet in and of itself isn't it
2: yeah so the way that i like doodling is amazing and it's gotten a bad rap so i feel like part <laughs> of thing, my goal in life is to try to bring back the doodle like the doodle is amazing like people should be doodling and the way that i see doodling like in sketchnoting, how they relate to one another is that a doodle can lead to a sketch note, or it could be a building block or you can make your doodling more purposeful by sketchnoting something. So if you're going to be doodling anyways, like why not incorporate some more sketchnoting skills and make those doodles really work for you? because doodling in its own right can help you remember up to 29% more information, right? Just by doodling, just by putting pen to paper and drawing a little, my always go-to doodle is a snail. I like to draw a little swirl and a little head and there you go. A little, got a little snail. A lot of folks have their go-to one that they like Uh to draw. And yeah, so, so if, a lot of folks would get in trouble when they were younger in school for doodling in their own notebook, but it was doing what your teacher thought opposite. She thought it was distracting you, but it was actually helping you stay focused. So I always say, if someone has a problem with you doodling, you come tell them to talk to me and I'll
1: say, yes, right? <laughs> yeah, we're gonna, going back to the learning styles. It's, this is a learning tool.
2: Exactly, it's I there love to help that. you stay
1: focused. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, even
2: if that doodle has nothing to do with the information, it's still helping you stay focused and engaged. Even though you might not be looking at the speaker or looking at the teacher, you are learning in your own way. So, yeah, sketching, sketch noting can just be this beautiful step up from the doodle. Really, yes,
1: mm-hmm. I love that. And taking the craft then to creating a business out of this, mm-hmm. your yeah. mind's eye creative what lessons can we learn from that? In other words, you saw this passion, this talent that you had, but you said, I really want to create. I don't want to just be the sort of a one-off freelancer. I want this yeah. to be a business and this people see it as a business offering. Uh, mm-hmm. How was that for you?
2: It was quite a process. I started this journey 10 years ago now, um, but the first three years, I was basically had a secret business because I was just playing around and doing it. when I had a facilitator friend bring me in a few times and community events hire me, you know, for very low pay, but I was still doing it. And it wasn't until late 2016, early 2017 that I was like, okay, I'm gonna actually do this. I had attended a conference in 2015 of folks all around the world who do this work. Mm-hmm. And I was very intimidated, but also very inspired and also they have businesses and they seem to be doing okay. I'm sure I could figure it out. <laughs> and of course it wasn't that easy, but I sat in on a lot of the business conversations and the, they had a couple business workshops. So I sat in on those and, and just try to soak up as much as I could in those three days. I was pregnant with my second child at the time. So then after he was born, I was like, okay, let's like, let's try to figure this out and, and build a business around this and take this seriously. Cause I wanted to see what that could look like for me if I actually, you know, went all in on it mm-hmm. instead of just like here and there. So yeah. And it's an, it's an interesting business, right? Mm-hmm. So it has, in the beginning I would get rejected every day and mm-hmm. they hurt Pearl, like those rejections, hundreds probably of rejections over years they hurt real bad in the beginning, yes. but I'm, I guess, seven or so years into the business side of it. And you, like I, you get to a place where you believe in your work so much that it's unfortunate if they don't hire you because the people in the room really could have benefited from it. Maybe it's me. Maybe I didn't, wasn't able to speak to the value enough of it. Or maybe I wasn't talking to the one who actually would pay for it. It's somebody who has to now go and convince someone else to pay for it. And that doesn't always work, right? Because that value gets lost in translation. And if I'm speaking to people who've never seen it before, that's very hard because they weren't in the room and experienced the power of it for themselves. So even if they can't articulate it, they have a stronger incentive because Mm -hmm. they believe in the power of it for themselves. So for me, it's if you want to hire me, that'd be awesome. And I'd love to work with you. But if you don't want to, that's okay too. But in those early days, it was not that way. You didn't
1: quite have that swagger.
2: Yeah. No, 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 no. I feel very brazen on sales calls now. I'm just like, are you fun? Because if you're not, I'm not going to work with you. And they're like, yes. oh, I think I'm fun. <laughs> I want to be because- fun. I think I'm fun. They're trying to convince me that they're fun enough to work with me because I don't like uh, my styles, my style, the way I work is the way I work. And if you want the Ashton experience, then that's what you can have, but they have to know that's what they're, that's what they want and that it's a perfect alignment. And it's not always going to be that. Mm -hmm. If they want me to show up and draw a pretty picture, I'm not your person. Because I want to work with people who care about the people in the room, and they care about their learning, and they care about their engagement. And I'm not there just to check a box or be the like entertainment. I'm not the entertainment. I'm there to serve a, a business goal, a purpose. Right? There is, there should be an ROI for me there, whether it's like monetary or otherwise. Like there should be. Right? I find when I when people early days when I would get hired more as the entertainment, it's just the vibe is off. It's like they. Yeah, it's just a different type of treatment if they look at you as the entertainment. Like like, the
1: sketch artist.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And not like the snob. And kudos to all those folks that do that. And that is still a great way to to make a living and and to be creative in that way. But that's just not the way that I want to work. I just was able to hone over and luckily stuck through all those rejections. over years and have gotten to this place now and it's one of those things that when you're in it now you're on the other side you do forget what it was like in those early days but it was a a tough go there for a while Mm -hmm. trying to really I had to work on my mindset a lot to get to a place where I deserve I believe that I deserve to get paid well to do this work and yeah, it was a tough go those first few years, but I am. Um, and then basically when COVID hit, I had to basically recreate my business.
1: Yes, yes. So thanks sure. thanks for sharing these personal insights because yeah, uh, there's whatever. not a person listening to this podcast who hasn't gone through that. It's like the the purgatory of your work. It's, yeah. I need to get through this and, and make progress. And then finally coming out the other end, like you said, the, the amount of work, the quality of work always pays off. So thanks for sharing that.
2: Yeah, no problem. It is, it can be really hard as a creative when you are building a business or trying to do the sales around it, because the rejections do feel so personal because Mm -hmm. you feel like they are saying no to not just you, but to your creativity. Yes. It's it's, it's a tough one. Right in the
1: soul. Mm -hmm.
2: Right in the heart. (laughs) That's
1: my creativity you're talking about.
2: Exactly. The rest of it. I don't yeah. like my picture I drew. And everybody
1: else in. is saying, it's just a numbers game. You just keep making those calls. Just keep putting out those proposals. Ashton Rodenheiser has been my guest. Ashton, I can't thank you enough for the great conversation. I, I think about when you were describing going to your conference and hearing mm-hmm. the other people and wondering if this was something you could do as a business. I think you've spoke to people today on the podcast who may be at the some point in their creative uh, journey who say, I'm not sure if I should... Uh, push the button, go out on my own or start a business Mm -hmm. or ask for a transfer to another department, whatever the case might be. And you've given us some real encouraging words, and I really appreciate it. I'm
2: good. I'm glad. Yeah. And if you're one of those people, just keep at it, right? Try not to compare yourself to other success. Followers are just a number. They don't mean anything. You just show up and you serve the people the best that you can. And You don't need to have a million clients or a Mm -hmm. million sales to be successful, right? Like just go your own pace and do your own thing. Yeah.
1: Good advice. Good insights. Folks, my guest, Ashton Rodenheiser and her company is Mind's Eye Creative in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada, outside Halifax. Let's don't lump this nice country setting into the big city. (laughs) Yeah. Ashton, thanks for being on the show. And listeners, we're going to continue our around the world journeys. We love talking to creative practitioners in places all over the globe about how they organize ideas, and we've learned a visual communication tool today, and how we gain the confidence and the connections we've also heard about to launch our work out into the world. We'll continue these conversations and I hope you'll come back and consider uh, subscribing and following and even a, leaving a review of the podcast if this has contributed to your creativity. Until next time, I'm Mark Stinson and we'll continue to unlock your world of creativity.
0: Unlocking your world of creativity with best-selling author and brand innovator, Mark Stinson. This program was produced by BSB Media. Creators of Intellikey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and ThePeaceroom.love. Our podcast is supported by Adobe and the Adobe Creative Cloud, the world's best creative app and services, so you can make almost anything you can imagine wherever you're inspired. We use Adobe to help make this podcast using Audition, InDesign, and more. So join the creative community with the Adobe Creative Cloud and let's make something better, unlocking your world of creativity.